Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. Introducing Pega Megoya, Expression of Love, new translations of a selection of guzzles from Painandlal Goya. Today's podcast begins with the recitation of Painandlal's guzzle in Persian, followed by a new English transcreation the result of a unique collaboration between Dr. Fatima Fayaz and Dr. Nadra Khan of Lahore University of Management Sciences, Damanpreet Singh, writer and graduate student, and Inni Kaur of Sikri, followed by a discussion between Daman and Inni about the beauty of the guzzle and the trans-creation process. هوای بندگی آورد در وجود مرا وگرنه ذوق چنین آمدن نبود مرا خوش است اوم که در یاد بگذرد ورنه چه حاصل است از این گنبد کبود مرا در آن زمان که نیایی به یاد میمیرم به غیر یاد تو زیزیستن چه سود مرا فداست جان و دل من به خاک مردم پاک هران کس که به سوی تو ره نمود مرا نبود هیچ نشانها از آسمان و زمین به شوق روی تو آورد در سجود مرا به غیر یاد تو گویا نمی توانم زیست به سوی دوست رهایی دهند زود مرا Gazal 1 I am brought into existence by the embrace of the winds of reverence bondage I would not have desired to come into this world otherwise. Joyous is the life spent in your remembrance, and if not, what else do I gain from this blue vault? I die when I do not remember you. Besides your remembrance, what do I gain from living? I surrender my heart-mind to the dust of those pious beings who guide me towards you. When there was no sign of the sky or earth, it was desire for your face that brought me into prostration. Goya, I cannot live without remembering you. May I be freed quickly to meet the beloved. Guru Fateh, this is Eni Kaur, and it's going to be a treat for me particularly to have Daman Singh, who's going to be joining me in this podcast. Over the year, I think it's been over a year and a half that we've been working on the um, guzzles of Painandlal. And Daman has been so vital to this translation, and it's really lovely that I get to spend you know, the next 45 minutes or so with him and to talk about something which is dear to my heart. And I know it's very dear to many of the six. So, Daman, uh, welcome. And um, I want to begin by asking you, 
Why is Pai Nandlal important? Yeah, thanks um, for having me here. Pai Nandlal is an interesting figure, I think. He's very important in Sikh memory, and we are we know of his writings, and oftentimes we might even hear them sung. But I think there might be, um, well, I think the re- one of the reasons we did this project is because we felt like there was maybe a gap between that memory and us being kind of as six deeply engaged with his writings. Bainanlal was born in 1633. Um, he was senior to Guru Gobind Singh, born in Ghazni, Afghanistan, kind of during the Mughal period. He kind of was adept at poetry from his childhood and was kind of born in a family that was somewhat elite. You know, his father worked for the Mughals and he also in his early adult life worked for the Mughal state until late in his life, he decided to travel to Anandpur after kind of resigning his post with the Mughal state, um, of which there were various. Um, and kind of late in his life, he traveled to Anandpur and became one of the poets of Guru Gobind Singh. It's also important to note here that his introduction to Guru Gobind Singh was through his wife, who was of a Sikh background. And Bainandal traveled, some sources say in 1682, but it's not entirely clear when this happened. But he traveled to Anandpur to meet the Guru after um, you know, having served in the, for the Mughal state and had this kind of administrative career and spent his days with the Guru as kind of um, a poet, um, as a figure in the court. Sources say that he kept a langar at Anandpur, um, which the Guru kind of commended as a model for other langars. Um, and he also wrote quite a bit of poetry and other texts in Persian, Arabic, and Punjabi. And as I said, kind of his texts have a place of their own in the Sikh canon, and they're, I think, very fondly remembered and also significant for kind of giving us a glimpse into the court of the Guru and also giving us a glimpse into the relationship Bainantal had with the Guru. And we've translated just 12 guzzles of 63 from perhaps maybe, I don't know if this is true, but in my mind, this is perhaps the most well-known of his works, um, what's known as Devane Goya, which are a set of 63 guzzles um, that he composed during his time at the Guru's court. You know, you said something that um, we we listen to it. We hear it in the Gurdwara sometimes. And I remember, you know, about five years back, uh, you know, one night when I couldn't sleep, it was because of the accident that I had had. And I was listening to the Kirtan from Darbarsap. It was somewhere probably early, early morning, two, three, and I'm not quite sure what it was. And there I was, this, I was hearing this Shabbat, and I couldn't figure out, I was so moved by it, that the next morning that I said, let me find out more about this Shabbat. And I realized at that point that it was of Pai Nandlal. And that's when my journey began into his writings. Mm. It was, I got immersed in them. I wanted to know a little bit more about him as a person. And then, you know, I was drawn to these guzzles. Mm -hmm. Um, So how did you encounter, because he's not someone that, you know, I mean, 
he's it's not the, the his work is not in the guru granth sahib this is not even sung that much in the gurdwara so how did you encounter pai nandlal so i think i was vaguely familiar with pai nandlal i can't remember exactly the order but personally so i um was studying persian as part of a master's degree in religious studies and i was studying persian kind of to gain familiarity with one of the classical languages of south asia um and i think at one point i just googled kind of sikh texts in persian because i knew that they existed and i knew that there is a persian tradition that's important to the sikh canon but i wasn't terribly familiar with it um and then i think around the same time you know you and i had a conversation about by study of persian um and i think it began kind of just as a you know what have you been up to conversation and then you shared with me that you had translated i believe one or two of by nandlal's ghazals and i think you shared with me that you know they were really special to you and that prompted me to kind of look into them further and look at some of the existing translations and i remember i was pretty early in my persian studies at that time i think i had just done a semester or something and i remember looking at kind of the gurmukhi text of the persian ghazals and trying to figure out if i could understand them at that stage and i really couldn't but i you know i kept that in mind and i you know i wanted to try to figure them out at some point wow i didn't know i played such an important role in that <laughs> yeah it's it's you know it's these conversations that you have and you don't know what leads to what yes i did um translate i think about two or three but nothing as rich as this uh because i was coming from a very different perspective you know before we get into what a ghazal is um you know it took me a while to understand these ghazals because i come from that you know the the english tradition where there are these beautiful sonnets and and cantons and and you know in each poem builds each stanza builds right up to the end <clears throat> and getting into the ghazals where i couldn't figure out how this was working how that system was working the genre was working because each ghazal each couplet each share is independent there is no continuation of thought mm-hmm. and that was challenging because i kept going back to wanting to connect how is this connecting to the previous couplet the share and it, there wasn't and i you know it was frustrating until i went back to study the genre and once i studied that and and when i realized that these were independent it made things a lot easier and also then i realized after studying that that you know this the theme of the ghazal in classical urdu and persian poetry is about love mm-hmm. and mostly unrequited mm-hmm. you know and it said that uh, what i loved about it was it said that the ghazals are almost always written uh, to be read out by the lover to the mashuk to the you know to the beloved now one could take it as a lower case b or an upper case b i'm not even going to get into that to me it is a conversation between the lover and the beloved though at times and even here we see that in painandlal his ghazals they are directed sometimes to friends sometimes to the divine sometimes mm-hmm. to the world at large mm-hmm. and sometimes to the preachers mm-hmm. 
because there are, you know, that's what's also happening there. So it's been interesting. It's been the journey, you know, my journey for the last five years into the guzzles has been has been enriching for me. But there's this one line that, you know, what is a guzzle that struck uh, with me is the guzzle means talking to the beloved mm-hmm. and whatever that means. It's so simple and yet so profound. So it is that that conversation, I guess. I mean, whether the beloved replies or not, that's not the issue. It is that lover that is having the conversation. Is that similar to your understanding or what is it that it was or something that you want to add to it was to your, you know, to help our listeners understand the genre of uh, guzzles? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a wonderful description of the guzzle form. Um, similarly to you, I think. And this happened, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this over the course of our discussions, but I feel like often I would want there to be a coherent kind of meaning consistent through the course of the puzzle, and each week it would kind of be like, well, actually, this is a complete thought, so that's the wrong question to ask. And yeah, I think that the form of the puzzle, consisting as it does of couplets that are complete thoughts, makes it so that it's both very perhaps challenging for kind of a someone steeped in, in you know the English language tradition who wants you know a poem to be from start to end but i also think is really special because it becomes so that you can and i feel like this has happened to us over the course of the year is where you can keep a couplet in mind you know a couplet will stay with you for days and days and days and perhaps one or two from a puzzle, but one might resonate especially, and you can kind of keep it in your mind and recite it to yourself, and it really becomes powerful because that in itself is a complete thought, and for whatever reason, that resonates. So I think it becomes this really accessible form in that way because it really is kind of a very intimate kind of two lines that someone is speaking to the beloved that you can extract and keep in your mind and be, holds meaning for you and share with people you want to hear that line and without it becoming something that you have to read on the page, right? It becomes kind of this conversational form. And I think this is probably, and, and you know, this happens, I feel like, in kind of various subcontinental and Persian cultures where people have poetry on the tip of their tongues all the time because it's so accessible in this way. Um, so I think that was really important to me for understanding the guzzle, even as it's this very sophisticated kind of high poetic form that Bainandwal has ma- mastered. It's also somewhat accessible in this way. Something else that I think makes it unique is that the guzzle form kind of has deep Sufi roots. Um, and we'll discuss this, I'm sure, over the course of our conversation. But something that Bainandwal is doing that I think is really significant kind of historically is appropriating kind of a Sufi form of poetry and making it kind of his own. And, you know, some scholars have even argued that he was primarily through these guzzles speaking to Sufis rather than speaking to Sikhs and actually wanted to make an argument to Sufis through the guzzle form. So I think that demonstrates kind of by Nanslaw's genius, kind of the ways in which he was able to adopt and make his own this classical form. 
but also speaks to some of the historical context of the time in which he was living and kind of his, you know, what he was trying to do through these guzzles. And I think the last point that I would, I think is important to share with our listeners is that though each couplet has, is, you know, complete on its own, um, the thing that unites each couplet um, is that every couplet in a guzzle will have the same word or phrase at the end of the second line. And there will be a consistent rhyme pattern between each couplet. So in the English translation, to the greatest extent possible, we've tried to maintain this pattern. Of course, that's difficult to do sometimes, working from Persian to English. Um, but that's one way in which you know, one can think of a guzzle as a coherent piece, is that there is this kind of rhythmic aspect and there's this repetitive aspect as well. And the last couple couplet rather often contains the pen name of the poet. So the poet will often speak to him or herself in the last couplet. Um, of course, Bainanthal wrote as Goya. So in the last couplet, we'll hear Bainanthal saying something to himself, addressing himself as Goya, which is also something that appears in the guzzle form. Yes, I know. I think he started, I uh, read somewhere that he started writing somewhere in his teens, and that's when he adopted the name Goya. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you know, that uh, he had already made a name for himself. Uh, the, maybe not in ma made a name for himself, but he had the whereabouts as to how or what he wanted to be called. And his guzzles contained that. So I want to recite the first couplet, uh, Daman, and let's then discuss a little bit about it because there are some really interesting words in there which I want to focus on. I was brought into existence by the embrace of the winds of reverence bondage. I would not have desired to come into this world otherwise. So what comes to mind when you hear the words reverence bondage? I know we spent a lot of time on this, so I want you to speak to reverence bondage and what does this couplet actually, what is it saying in simple words? Yeah, the first thing I'd say is that this is such a kind of, every time I hear this couplet, I kind of imagine kind of a storm, you know, something very tumultuous. There's a lot of action in this couplet. It's quite a way, and this is, you know, of course, the first couplet of the first guzzle, um, it's quite a way in which to get into Bainandalal's writings because it's there's a lot of drama, there's a lot of movement. Um, he's talking about coming into existence, kind of being born, coming into this world. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think this is maybe one of the most famous of his couplets because it's the first and because it's from the first guzzle, but also I think because it is such a powerful image. But yeah, I think so. I think the word, there's a couple of words in this couplet itself that I think might represent how intensive the translation process has been for us. Um, so the first one that you pointed out, um, reverence bondage, which in the original Persian is bandigi, which comes from the Persian banda, which means slave, um, which of course is also, bandigi and banda are also of course words that we're familiar with in Punjabi and come up in um, Gurbani in various forms. Um, and 
we ultimately didn't translate bandagi as slavery, but rather as reverence bondage. So we've translated it both as two words and perhaps not in the most literal way. Because I think this is a great example of how it was important for us in the translation process to think about how can we convey the intimacy and drama and all the depths of meaning in the original to you know a present day reader who might not have any persian or even punjabi background who is trying to understand the depth and the intimacy of the connection by nandlal is conveying to us and it's not even depth and intimacy i think that's an understatement it's actually coming into the world you know he's describing his encounter with the beloved the friend the divine the guru etc as actually a rebirth of some sort actually the only reason he's in the world is because of this encounter so i think the translation that we chose for bandagi as reverence bondage is significant both because by making it two words we've tried to convey what it the state of bandagi is um and by using the word bondage in specific rather than slavery we tried to consider and we did consider the fact that you know the word slavery today means something very different from what it would have meant to Bayandlal or to other Persian speakers and writers in the time in which he was writing so i think this is a really good example of how kind of words are mediated by history and of course you know today when we hear of slavery we think of kind of chattel slavery we think of kind of the enslavement of africans in the US context but also in the Caribbean and elsewhere in the world and what Bayanthal is going for is actually thinking about a relationship of utter, utter surrender to the divine and to the beloved and to the guru and this is a very different understanding of slavery and bondage you know slavery just doesn't convey that um so this was an example where you know if you go to a dictionary and say i want to look up the persian this persian word you might find slavery but there's actually layers and layers of meaning that are actively obscured by that translation but i do think you know this is one of yeah as i said before this is you know such a powerful image and he's conveying what will often come up in his guzzles which is a state of utter surrender and a state also of complete you know he is not in he's speaking from the first person but he is not in control as speaker and this is something that will continue to come up in his guzzles you know it's the depth of his love it is only when there is so much love within that the beloved is uh has taken a form that it has actually colored you and this is comes up in gurbani again that you are immersed you are dyed in that love that you surrender to that love so you know when we talk about surrender which is you know here in the similar context uh, people think about it as a white flag it isn't that and when i translate surrender i always hyphenate it and put loving surrender because this is not a surrender of defeat this is a surrender of love and that's what um, you know there the words you're you're so right how words over the centuries have changed and their meanings change 
And, uh, you know, it is that, and you talked about, it's actually like he's reborn. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, and, and there was this, there was this, but he was embraced by it. Yes, there's a storm, but he was embraced by this love. And this is what he is celebrating, this embrace. And I want to, um, and because then he he says in the next, in the next year, he says, joyous is the life spent in your remembrance. And if not, what else do I gain from this blue vault? This vault idea, you know, this, it's an interesting choice of word, vault, you know, it's just, he feels he's in this, in this cage. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it is, it is uh, because, you know, with, when you think about a vault, it is a, you know, with the four walls around you and everything. So what is, what do you get from that, Daman? Yeah. Yeah. This was a, an image that I remember when I first encountered it, I kind of was really struck by it because I thought it was a really beautiful image, but also was somewhat confusing to me, which I think kind of maybe a lot of his words end up being confusing in a really productive way. But so if in the first couplet he was, you know, describing his coming into the world, you know, in the second, he's very much in the world and he's trying to figure out um, in some ways what there is to gain from being in this world. And he's saying in very clear terms, it's the only thing is remembrance. But yeah, I think that um, the image of the blue vault, as you're saying, Annie, is really, it's conveying a cage, but it's also conveying, I think, the vastness of the world. So I think I'm trying to figure out, I've been trying to figure out kind of the various meanings of describing this world that he has come into through remembrance or that he is in precisely for the purpose of remembrance rather it's both vaulted and kind of so so this is what i'm trying to say because we have the vault as something that's locked up right and is a cage but also we have you know beautiful vaulted cathedral ceilings that are soaring right and obviously he's not referring to kind of you know, European medieval architecture or whatever, but I'm trying to, I I think I've been trying to figure out kind of there's a vastness that's conveyed by describing the sky as such, but there's also this limitedness and there's this awareness that existence under this blue vault is both extraordinarily vast, but also extraordinarily limited, but its vastness comes precisely from remembrance. Yeah, and that's what I I love the play. You know, you you're in in a vault, but it's blue. So the earth, I mean, our living is yes, we are here, but this is not it. Right. But as vast and as a magnificent and as blue it is, but this is not it. And then the next coupler, he says, he says, I die when I do not remember you. Besides your remembrance, what do I gain from living? Yeah. Yeah, and here, again, we have these very strong, very powerful, you know, it's life and death. Yes. Um, And death, he's also suggesting, and this is a a concept that will come up in Gurbani, is that death is possible while living, right? And he's saying, if remembrance was absent, even as I was under this blue vault, it would actually be death. And, you know, in the English and also in the original Persian, 
it is very definitive. It is I die. You know, it isn't that I would be living a life akin to death, but it actually is death. Yeah, but that's the depth of love for the lover and the beloved. You know, it is that that strong connection. But besides you, there's nobody else. Right. And if I have to lose this remembrance, I'm dead. Right. But you know, it's also in in Gurbani. It is I am living. I am alive. When I remember you, otherwise I am dead because I'm just flesh and bones, right? Just the body. So it's that remembrance is when you are alive. And this is that interesting play which, you know, you go back and forth with uh, with Gurbani and with his guzzles, that, that's beautiful connection. And it's like going in and out of both things. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and the fourth one, I surrender my heart-mind to the dust of those pious beings who guide me towards you. I mean, now he's softening. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a change. And I've been engaged with the Gunbanti Shabbat. Mm-hmm. And, and this, actually, when I heard this, my mind straight went there because there it is about the Gursik, that whichever Sikh of the Guru I see, May I bow again, again at their feet, mm-hmm. because they will lead me towards you. So th- I, this to me spoke to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, your thoughts, Daman? Yeah, I think that is a really wonderful connection, and the way you said that, I think, really resonates with me. Is that it does feel, you know, upon reading any of his guzzles, it does feel like you are coming in and out of Gurbani because there are so many references, but then, but also because of the way in which it's so intimately written, you're kind of getting, a, you're able to become intimate in some ways, both with Bainandlal's work, but also with Gurbani and the ways in which he understands and is immersed in Gurbani. Um, but on this couplet in particular, um, and I think this speaks to what we were saying earlier with Ch- with each couplet being very different and very distinct from one another, is that we've now moved from an a state of utter surrender and a state of kind of birth through surrender to the divine. And now we have another form of surrender, which is perhaps the same, but also perhaps very different. And this is a surrender of both heart and mind. Mm. Um, so he's, you know, and he says in the original, it is John or Odil, right? It is heart and mind. Um, and it's a surrender to those who are with him in a way that's very distinct from the surrender to the beloved, but perhaps also the same. So I think this is a, a great example of kind of how each couplet has its own layers of meaning and also considered, you know, across the entire puzzle helps us understand the various layers and the various meanings of surrender itself. But I'd be curious to kind of ask you if you could elaborate a little bit more on how you understand this form of surrender. So it's, you know, I mean, it's interesting where he he specifies heart and mind. So it's not just one. And then it's to those pious beings, Right. So he's he's saying he's recognizing that there are pious beings around, and in their sangat, I will grow as well. Yeah, right? and and that that's actually the humility. 
it's one thing to say, I'm in love with you. I surrender to you. I don't need anybody else. Yeah. But he keeps sa- he's saying, now I'm re- prepared to do this because there's something more. And that's mm-hmm. when I read that, that to me is this journey of love. There's never, it's never an end. It's always an evolution. You keep evolving and you discover in that love, you actually discover more of yourself. And, you know, while I know, uh, you know, because I I flip between the capital B beloved and the lowercase B beloved. Yeah. To me, it's, you know, love is love. Yeah. And it's not the entity or the individual that you are beholden to. It is actually what they invoke in you and the love they invoke in you and what that love does to you. Mm-hmm. It actually frees you. So you are beholden to that love. It is, if I can say it, it is you're beholden to the us mm-hmm. in that relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm beholden to you and you are beholden to me. You mm-hmm. know, it is actually we're beholden to that us, that that has produced something that has come out of this meeting, this union, or this something, and we honor that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that is that vastness. But, you know, it's uh, it's interesting how we've translated, you've translated, we've done this heart, mind, and hyphen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and that's the process. I mean, to call this a translation, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, I mean, I like the word translation, particularly in, in this poetic genre, because translation actually means just focusing, replacing each word. With the with the with the corresponding word and in the other language, right. and um, or to find a, an appropriate uh, you know interpretation, but transcreation yeah. is focused on something quite different. While it one is focused on cr- conveying the same message mm-hmm. and the concept in a new language, and transcreation gives the linguists and you know i hope it gives us a little bit more freedom as we focus on the complete message yeah instead you know that is intended behind the text rather than the specific words within the text i mean the specific words are important like bandagi is very important mm-hmm. but to just translate it as slavery it would defeat the purpose. Right. Uh, we wouldn't be able to understand it. Right. But, you know, the softening of it, the bondage, that's the slavery. Yeah. But there's a reverence to it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think here, Daman, you know, we were very blessed. We we're very fortunate to have, you know, Dr. Nazra Khan and, and Dr. Fatima, who was with us through this process. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah, I think... It is really important to distinguish between what a, tr- a literal translation would look like and what we've offered. And I think every week, so, you know, the kind of year-long process that we've had now, where every week we would kind of think about a new guzzle, um, every week I was reminded, at, you know, of how both complicated, but also kind of how specific translation is to a person because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we would, you know, four people would each have very different, sometimes very different interpretations of a line or even very different, you know, 
you know, sometimes the the the, quote, the conversation got very heated because someone would be very devoted to a particular interpretation, and someone would want to maybe play with the tense a little bit, or you know, play with the way the line is broken up in the English. Um, but I think what we ultimately um, were hoping to convey through these transcreations was a rich and and kind of you know authentic to the original text but also accessible to the modern day reader who might not have background in the language who might not know you know anything other than the offering that we've given them so i think it's really important both to have the disclaimer that this is a very limited translation or transcreation of the guzzles because even among the four of us and you know of course Fatima Fayaz is a scholar of Persian and you know this is her bread and butter and Nadra Khan as an art historian who kind of looks at words and art in different ways and has an expertise that's very vast but also very different from Fatima's it would it's important to keep in mind that even with all these experts weighing in this is a very limited translation because we you know at the end of the day are limited by what we know and are also limited by who we are so this process of translating these guzzles both has demonstrated to me the richness and kind of the layers of references and kind of the ways in which the guzzles indicate something about the historical period in which Bainandalal was living, but also has demonstrated to me that, you know, language is always going to be interpreted and felt in different ways by different people. And at the end of the day, when we're dealing with a text that is so intimate and so rich with meaning, but also an intimate glimpse into Bainandlal's relationship with the beloved, it's going to be kind of whatever transcreation we settle on is going to be just one of many possible interpretations. You know, I agree with you because I, I remember when I translated, I think I've done about four of his, it was very different. It was very intimate. I mean, I was immersed and enjoyed them. But I look back and say, yes, while I stand by them, because that was my understanding with him. Mm-hmm. It's like he spoke to me and that was it. But I can definitely say that the one that these transcreations that the four of us have worked on, uh, while they are restricted and everything, I'm willing to stand by them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> they, they struck a chord in all four of us, and all four of us were extremely comfortable. Yes, this is it. We feel good about it. I mean, there are some which we we said, okay, we'll come back to it. <laughs> but the 12 we are presenting was, we, we are feeling very good and comfortable about it. So, Daman, if I can ask you, out of this guzzle, which is the couplet or the share that speaks to you the most yeah i would love to know that yeah that's a hard question especially for this one which has probably been the one that you know we've spent the longest time on just by virtue of it being the first but i do think that um i believe this is the sixth verse if i 
um, I'm remembering, or if I'm counting correctly, I should say, but the verse that goes, when there was no sign of the sky or earth, it was desire for your face that brought me into prostration. And I should note for listeners, you know, the Y in your is capital. But here we have something I think is that's really interesting, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this couplet as well. Because again, we have this sense of Bainandalal is once again, you know, like in the first couplet, completely surrendering to the universe. You know, if there was the embrace of the winds in the first couplet, now there's no sign of sky or earth. You know, he's in some ways out of his body, out of the earth, out of the blue vault. It was desire for your face. That brought me into prostration. Now, this is a very specific description of the friend, beloved, divine guru that we haven't yet seen. And we'll see in future guzzles that he does get quite specific with describing his encounter. But here it's the face that brought him into prostration. This is, um, and again, this is speaking to his appropriation of a you know, kind of Sufi ghazals, where there will be these very detailed descriptions of the beloved as in human form. And I've always been struck by this degree of specificity that's brought here, desire for your face. It's again surrender, but it's maybe a third type of surrender now, right? We've seen the surrender of kind of, you know, reverence bondage, where it's just the wind that are sweeping him up. We've seen surrender to the pious beings who are guiding him. And now there's another type of surrender that he's introducing in the form of prostration. Yeah. You know, I think for me it was when there was no sign of scan, uh, a sign of the sky or earth. I mean, that to me was such a strong statement. It was like this was when I was in spirit. I was mm-hmm. not even on this, on this planet, right. nothing. Yet, I came into here because of your face. And there was something even in my, when I was not in human form, there was something within my essence, that's that spirit in Sufism, Mm -hmm. that the spirit never dies. So even in that form, it was your pull that brought me into this earth. That's the way I look at it. Because, you know, everything has to, this love has to have that pull. And it was that pull to see your face and then's when i saw your face and everything just you know and that's where i've surrendered again but it actually for me it is that even when there was i was just spirit i was just that that it was i knew you were there i knew there was something there and that's what brought me here and when i saw you that's where i prostrated I mean, that's the yeah. way. I mean, that's just that essence that, you know, every part, every cell, my every, it's the, it's every being is yearning for you, is just you. So even in that moment, you know, you say, you say in that, even when I'm sleeping, I'm thinking of you. Mm-hmm. And I have said sometimes that even when I didn't know you, I knew you yeah. existed. So it's that bit of love. It is, I know it's there. I don't know what it is, but I know it's there. Yeah. And when you encounter it, you say, this is it. 
I knew it. Yeah. But I couldn't place it. So now that's where he's wanting to place it. And yeah. that placement is the face. You know, this is, I think, a great example of the richness because I think even after having spent a year with this puzzle together, I have not thought about it quite in these ways that you're describing. Kind of the translation, as I understand it, is something along the lines of, you know, one who contemplates time or kind of nature of time is banda, right? And there is the use of banda in that, in that shabad. And it's, is, um, you know, we can translate that as, you know, one who is reverent bond or, you know, reverent and in bondage or however we want to translate banda. But there is an, is a, I think there's a similar thing happening here where there is a contemplation of time and both the specificity of his encounter with the guru, but also as you're describing this kind of relationship or this reverence bondage or love that is not restricted to life on earth but also is very specifically being described as life on earth and it is taking a particular form in his encounter with the guru. Does that make sense? I think I'm trying to think about this Shabbat and it's always stuck with me, kind of this idea of thinking, you know, contemplating the nature of time is actually what makes one a slave or however you want to translate that. Yeah, well, time for me is circular. It's not linear. Mm-hmm. You move in and out of time um, in in that place. So you're never, well, the past and the present, is, it's just all, it just blends in and you just move in and out of it mm-hmm. uh, very, you know, seamlessly at some points. And at some points when you encounter like a moment, it's when the sky changes or when you inhale, you know, there's a there's a fragrance you inhale, you actually say, Where did I where did this happen? Because I know I've smelt this before. I know I have seen this before. And there is no memory, but it is an embedded memory, and it's a mem- memory embedded in time. Mm. And so you float in and out. So this whole idea that, you know, I mean, I love it that he says that even when I was not here. And even when I was just spirit, that I knew that there was something, that there was you. You were there, and I wanted you. I wanted your face. And I think for me, the way he ends it, you know, Goya, I cannot live without remembering you. He says that. Mm-hmm. May I be freed quickly to meet the beloved. So he wants to now leave and to be immersed, to have that union, to meet Mm-hmm. The beloved, you know. It's, I mean, he ends it so beautifully that I cannot live without you, uh, without remembering you. And this is what it is: remembrance is everything. Simran is everything, you know. And that's his Simran. His Simran is the beloved. His Simran is is what will take him to the next step. Mm-hmm. It's been quite a journey with this one, with the first guzzle. There's so much in here. Mm-hmm. And uh, what were your thoughts, Daman, on the last uh, last share? Yeah, I think that the way you've described it is really wonderful. And 
I'm trying to figure out, I think, this. And this is, again, you know, I'm doing the thing, even as I've said, that, you know, they are complete thoughts unto themselves, but one can't help but try to think about them in context. But I'm, you know, because there's seems to be some sort of tension that emerges, right, where there is, he's engaging in remembrance as he lives and is also describing this in this very powerful last line, a desire to be freed. And again, I'm thinking of this image of the blue vault, kind of there's the vastness, but there's also the limitedness. And there's the remembrance, but also there's the desire to be with the beloved. And I often, you know, is that, is it one and the same? You know, is remembrance actually ultimately meeting the beloved? Is he challenging us to think in that in those ways, or is he describing something else altogether? I think those are some of the questions that are coming to my mind as we come to the end of the guzzle. But you know, we'll never know. Right. And when you write poetry and when you write guzzles, it is in that fervor. You know, there's something that comes. You experience something and you have to put it down. Right. What that moment was, what is he giving us a glimpse into? That is what, you know, when I read him, okay, what is he seeing? I want to see that. What is he feeling? Why am I not feeling this? <laughs> that, 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 that passion, I cannot live without remembering you. I mean, that's very forceful. Right. And then this idea, I want to be free quickly, you know, very, very quickly, because I want to meet you. That rush, that yearning, that longing, that I'm waiting is is all in that for me. Uh, but, you know, we'll never know. Right. We can just imagine. But he has given, he's given us so much to think about, um, to also actually focus, why am I not thinking like that? Right. Why am I not yearning for my beloved like that? The question, I think, for me is, am I willing to become Mabanda? Right. It's, it's, right. it's, it's huge. Yeah. So that's what I have, uh, I get when I read him. Um, so Damanda Spinton has been really wonderful. Yeah chatting with you and um, you know it's like re-exploring the guzzle when I was looking at it this morning I'm saying I don't think I thought this <laughs> a couple of months back so yeah. it's lovely to revisit it with you and yeah. um, I hope to continue these conversations and bring to our listeners um, one guzzle a month that's what mm -hmm. we are aiming for mm -hmm. so if your game get uh, done let's go for it yeah I'm excited to continue and each, yeah, even though it's been so many encounters with each, with each guzzle, I think, you know, each conversation with you always brings to me kind of a new layer of meaning, a new understanding. Um, so that's really exciting. So it's wonderful. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Until next time, Guru Fateji. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute illuminating every path.